Welcome to the Great Detectives of Old Time Radio. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham. If you have a comment, email it to me, box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives and check us out on Instagram, instagram.com slash greatdetectives. If you're enjoying the podcast, please follow us using your favorite podcast software. Today's program is brought to you in part by the financial support of our listeners. You can support the show on a one-time basis by mailing a donation to Adam Graham, P.O. Box 15913, that's P.O. Box 15913. 13 Boise, Idaho 83715. You can also become one of our ongoing Patreon supporters for as little as $2 per month by going to patreon.greatdetectives.net. And I want to welcome our latest Patreon supporter, Simon, supporting the podcast at the shameless level of $4 or more per month. Thank you so much for your support, Simon. And now it is time for this week's episode of Dragnet. Once again, we're bringing you a TV soundtrack of a story that was missing on radio. This was aired on television on October 8th, 1954, with Ben Alexander playing Frank Smith. However, it was based on a radio play from November 8th, 1949, And the title is The Big Bar. Ladies and gentlemen, the story you are about to see is true. The names have been changed to protect the innocent. This is the city. Los Angeles, California. I work here. I'm a cop. It was Tuesday, February 3rd. It was cold in Los Angeles. We were working the night watch out of homicide detail. My partner's Frank Smith. The boss is Captain Lorman. My name's Friday. It was 18 minutes past 2 a.m. when we got to number 15 San Jose Street, the Green Light Tavern. A killer was loose in the city. His weapon, a 38 caliber revolver. His objective, robbery and murder. Ambulance on the way, George? Can't use it. They're both dead, wife and husband. You call the crime lab? They're on the way. Okay, we better take a look at that back room. Right. This is where you found them, Crowley? Nothing's been touched. Safe was open when we got here, cleaned out. Shot twice through the back, both of them. They both dead when you got here? The old man was. She wasn't. she say anything? She said the hold-up guy wanted all the money in the safe. The old man gave it to him, pleaded with him not to shoot. Yeah. While I was handing over the money, the old man dropped a $10 bill. He said he was sorry, stooped to pick it up. The guy shot him through the back. Mm-hmm. The woman said she turned to grab her husband. The guy shot her through the back. Did you get a description? She didn't last that long. Tough look. What were their names? Mr. and Mrs. Enrique Cotero, they ran the place. Good people. They always are. wonder how much money the guy got. Not enough to pay the check. 
Sergeant Allen and the crew from the crime lab arrived and went to work. They dusted for fingerprints, took pictures of the back room, the safe, the victims. Every object that could have any possible tie-in with the crime was photographed. Captain Lorman was with him. Looks like that job over on the east side last month, Skipper. Same M.O. Kid with Ramsey. He the witness? Yeah, he worked for the Cateras, didn't he? Yeah, bar boy, handyman, you know. Ramsey's getting no place with him. What's the matter? Spanish, can't speak English. Well, how's your Spanish, Frank? Still high school Spanish. All right, let's give it a try. Is he the only one here? When we got here, yeah. Trabaja aquí como bar boy there, Dan? Si, senor. Three months. Mr. Cotera era muy bueno conmigo. Como se llama? Juan Pedillo. Vivo al otro lado de la barra, en la casa de huéspedes. What's he saying, Frank? Well, his name's Juan Pedillo. He's been working here for about three months. He lives next door in the rooming house. Claims he got along fine with Mr. Gutierrez. Ask him to tell us how it happened. Everything. Juan, queremos saber exactamente cómo pasó esto. Díganos de todo lo que se acuerda. El tiempo. Que tanta gente había. Quienes eran. Todos los detalles. Toma su tiempo. Sí. Eran como... Como cinco minutos para las dos. Tiempo de cerrar. Mr. Cotera apenas había cerrado la puerta de enfrente. He says it happened around closing time, five minutes to two. Mr. Cotera had locked up the front door. Siga, Juan. Sí. Yo estaba detrás de la barra, igualmente la señora Cotera. Estábamos limpiando los vasos y poniéndolos en su lugar. Solo estaba un marchante en la barra. Estaba sentado a la orilla de la barra, allí. Juan was behind the bar with Mrs. Cotera. They were cleaning up the glasses and putting them away. There was only one customer left. He was sitting at the end of the bar. That's stool back there. Yeah, go ahead, Frank. Siga, Juan. El, el marchante creo que se llama Pete. Estuvo aquí anoche y la noche anterior. Siempre se quedaba hasta que cerrábamos. He says the customer's name was Pete. It was in last night and the night before. Always stayed until closing time. Bueno, Juan, siga. La, la señora Cotera recogió el dinero de la, del registro y se fue al cuarto de atrás. La oficina está allí. El señor Cotera se sentó con el marchante y bebió con él. Este hombre, Pete. Un minuto. He says about two o'clock, Mrs. Cotera took the money from the cash register and went into the back room. La oficina. Yeah, the office. And Mr. Cotera sat down and had a drink with this guy, Pete. All right, what happened then? Luego, que pasó? Bueno, yo limpié los vasos. Y como unos cuantos minutos después de las dos, llevé una caja de botellas vacías a la bodega. Estuve allí, creo que, como cinco minutos. Cuando oí el ruido. Bang, bang. ¿Qué hizo entonces? Dejé caer las botellas. Y oí de nuevo. Bang, bang. Entonces, corrí a ver. Mr. and Mrs. Cotera estaban tendidos en el suelo. Había sangre. Este hombre, Pete, salía por la puerta de enfrente. What's he saying, Frank? He says a couple of minutes past two, he went back to the storeroom with a case of empty bottles. He was back there about five minutes when he heard gunshots. He ran out and saw Cotero and his wife on the floor. This guy, Pete, was going out the door. La puerta de enfrente. Yeah, the front door. Just a minute. Puede conocer a este hombre, Pete. Si lo ve de nuevo? Oh, sí, señor, sí lo conocería. He says he'd know Pete if he saw him again. Does he know anything about him? Where he lives, where he hangs out? Sabes donde vive Pete, Juan? Donde come? Donde se mantiene? No, estuvo aquí hoy, anoche, y antenoche. Es todo lo que sé, señor. Pete was in here for the past three nights, that's all he knows. Ask him if he remembers what Pete was drinking, will you? Yeah. Juan, ¿se acuerda lo que este hombre Pete estaba tomando? Lo que estaba bebiendo? Oh, oh, sí, señor. Scotchy water. Plain water. To toda la noche lo mismo. Scotch and water. Drank the same thing all night. Same guy? Well, it ties in with that other job over on the east side. 
Wherever the guy works unconsciously, he seems to order the same thing to drink, doesn't he? Dispénseme. Dispénseme, señor oficial. Hay algo más que me acuerdo de él. Algo más que él hizo. Wait a minute. You remember something else. ¿Qué fue eso, Juan? ¿De qué más se acuerda? Cada noche, él tocaba la máquina de música. Allí. La tocaba mucho. Todo el tiempo pedía cambio. He says Pete played the jukebox a lot. Sí, señor. La misma melodía. Toda la noche. De vuelta y de vuelta. ¿Cuál era esa, Juan? ¿Se acuerda? Sí, señor, me acuerdo. Venga acá, le enseñaré. What's he doing? He wants to show us the jukebox. He said Pete played the same tune all night. Aquí, señor oficial. Esta, la número 14. La tocaba toda la noche. De vuelta y de vuelta. Funny man. That's the one. Number 14. Number two might be another one of his habits. Let's play it. Go ahead, you got dime? Thanks. He says that's the one. Must be in every jukebox in town. What does that prove? It's not going to be very much help. A lot of people like that tune. Only one man commits murder to it. Ten minutes past 3 a.m., Tuesday, February 3rd. Captain Lorman, Frank, and I left the Greenlight Tavern and we took Juan Padillo, the young bartender, back to the office with us. With the help of an interpreter, a police stenographer took down his statement and then we showed him three volumes of coming out mug shots. Padillo and Frank started looking through them. Captain Lorman and I went across the street to the old city jail building, the crime lab, to see Russ Camp in ballistics. How's it going, Russ? I'm still working on it. It's pretty tough. Why? What's the matter? Right here. This is the bullet that killed that east side bar owner last month. Yeah. It's from a 38 Colt special. We know that. It's a metal-piercing bullet. Mm-hmm. Well, the slug's in good shape. We weren't that lucky tonight. How do you mean, Russ? Well, here's the four bullets they fired in the back room of the Greenlight Tavern tonight. What happened to them? Must have had a heavy load. They penetrated the bodies and buried themselves in the wall and floor. Badly deformed. Yeah. It's going to take some work. Can't tell you much right now. What can you tell us, Russ? Well, I checked the bullets, examined the lands, markings. They got a left-hand twist. And they came from a Colt? Yeah, a 38 Colt special. Same type gun killed that man last month. It's not enough to go to court with, is it? It's enough for us right now. Well, we should get a make on one of these four bullets. It'll take a little time. Yeah. Now, you see these two slugs? Yeah. Lands, grooves, striations, they're pretty badly mutilated. Mm-hmm. There's no chance for any fancy work there, but we still have a good bit left down here at the base of the bullet. With any kind of a break, you can match them. Oh, I hope so. Grab it, will you, Joe? Yeah, I got it. Crime lab, Friday. Yeah, Frank. Yeah. Right away. Smith? Yeah. Juan Padillo just identified the killer. There's his package. Is Juan sure that's the right man? Dispense, Monsieur Oficial. ¿Qué dijo usted? Él dijo, está usted segura que este es el hombre. Oh, sí, señor. Es él, estoy seguro. He's sure. 
Well, according to his R card, Albert J. Stacy, white male American, five foot eleven, hundred and seventy pounds, brown hair, blue eyes. Here's a red flag on his index card, violation of parole. Got out of San Quentin eighteen months ago. Burglar, auto theft, armed robbery. He's used a gun before. That makes him number one. <laughs> By 4 a.m., an APB and a radiogram on Albert Stacy had been dispatched. The manhunt got underway. At 10 o'clock that morning, Sergeant Allen reported on his findings at the scene of the murder. No fingerprints, no additional physical evidence. We counted on getting the suspect's prints from the glass that he was drinking from at the bar. But either Mrs. Cotera or Juan had unknowingly given the killer his first big break. All the glasses had been washed, wiped, and neatly put away before the shooting. The prints had been destroyed in the process. Just after lunch, Russ Camp and Ballistics came up with an answer. The bullets which killed Mr. and Mrs. Cotera came from the same gun which killed the East Side bar owner a month before, a 38 Colt Special. Homicide, Lorman. Yes, Carly. Where? Good, thanks. I just picked up Stacy. They're bringing him in. 6 p.m., Tuesday, February 3rd. Albert Stacy was booked at the main jail on suspicion of 187 PC, murder. On his person was found a 38 Colt Special. The gun was immediately taken to the crime lab for examination. Stacy was brought to the interrogation room. Frank and I questioned him for four hours. He denied any connection with the two robberies and the murders. At 10 o'clock that night, we set out for coffee and sandwiches. Stacy ate heartily. He was worried, but he didn't have the attitude of a trapped murderer. The questioning went on. Midnight came. Stacy hung on to his story. He refused to say where he was at the time of the killings. He had nothing to do with the robberies, nothing to do with the murders. At 4 a.m., Frank and I took time out for a smoke. He's bound to break. He's got to. Well, either he's a great actor or I'm tired. He doesn't strike me as a guilty man. Well, I'm with you, but what about his record and the mugshot the kid picked out? See him in? Yeah. How's it going? Nothing. Russ Camp just called about Stacy's gun. Yeah. Maybe we found the right man. We got the wrong gun. Eleven a.m. Wednesday, February eleventh. We were refused a complaint against Albert Stacy by the district attorney's office on the grounds that we were unable to present sufficient evidence against him. We then filed on Stacy for violation of the state penal code, Chapter three thirty nine, Statutes of nineteen twenty three, as amended nineteen forty seven, Sub two an ex-convict with a gun. We put a hold on Stacy for his parole officer. He was to be returned to San Quentin. Frank and I started all over again from the beginning. A complete description of the suspect, along with his method of operation, was distributed to every tavern and cocktail lounge in the city. A special detail of men from the Metropolitan Division was assigned to stand a special watch between the hours of midnight and 3 a.m. During the month that followed, we set trap after trap for the killer. He failed to take the bait. Another month passed. We watched and we waited. 1 a.m. Saturday, April 4th. Frank and I were cruising the central area. Attention all units. All units. A 211 and shooting in the bar on the corner of Bellevue and Allison. A 211 and shooting in the bar on the corner of Bellevue and Allison. Suspect left the scene on foot. Suspect is wearing dark coat, light trousers. 1R5, take the call. Code 3. Let's go. 1K80, 1K80. 1K80, go ahead. On that call to Bellevue and Allison, we are in the vicinity. We will handle. 1K80, Roger. 
1K80. Any further description on the 211 suspect? 1K80. No further details. Suspect wearing dark coat, light trousers. Left the scene on foot. Okay. Let's roll it. Two minutes later, Frank and I got to the Windsor Buffet. The robbery victims were the owners, Mr. and Mrs. Ernest Leinberger. Mrs. Leinberger did all the talking. 1.25 a.m., Frank and I continued questioning Mr. and Mrs. Leinberger. Their description of the suspect, his M.O., and all of his actions matched those of the man who had shot down Mr. and Mrs. Katerra two months before and the East Side bar owner a month before that. The Leinbergers told us that the suspect drank only scotch and plain water and that he played the jukebox incessantly. The same tune, Funny Man. That's right, Funny Man. That's what he played. I got a good look at his wrist, too, his right wrist. What about it? He's got a picture tattooed on the underside. What kind of a picture? Looks like a cat, a black cat. Do you by any chance have the glass that he was drinking out of? Yeah, it's over by the door. Smashed to bits. Sure, I threw it at him when he ran out the door. 2.12 a.m. Frank and I drove Mr. and Mrs. Leinberger to the office where we took their statements and filled out a crime report. After that, we went down the hall to R&I and had one of the officers on duty check through the oddity file for us. That's it, Joe. Only guy in the file with a tattoo of a cat on his wrist. Yeah. He's got a different tattoo on his left wrist. He's only got one name. Wesley R. Guttridge. We pulled his mug shot. It was almost a dead ringer for Stacy. We compared descriptions. They matched almost perfectly. A radiogram was sent out on him and communications broadcast a want for murder. Captain Lorman, Frank and I checked our informants and all our available sources of information for the whereabouts of Wesley Guttridge. There was no trace of him. Two days passed. We continued cruising the Central and Hollenbeck Park area. Unit 1A5, out for 7, KMA 367. Correction, 7R6. That's 2421 Beverly Boulevard. A prowler now. AMA 367. Attention, all units. Attention, all units. At 5th and Winston, the bar. A 211 in shooting. Code 3. Suspect left the scene on foot. Suspect was headed west on 5th Street. Attention, all units. All units. At 5th and Winston. The name of the place was Doris and Jim's. Inside, we found a man lying on the floor, face down. He was dead. There were three bullet wounds in his back. Jim gave him the money. Every penny of it. He asked him for it. Jim gave it to him. He didn't have to shoot him. He didn't have to kill him. We gave him the money. Shut that thing off, will you? <laughs> <laughs> 5 a.m. Tuesday, April 7th. Frank and I sat in on a meeting with Captain Warman. Plans for a citywide dragnet operation to apprehend the killer were discussed and formulated. By 7 a.m., an overall plan was set in motion. Every available man was ordered up for special duty in the Central Area, the Newton Street Division, the University Division, and the Hollenbeck and Highland Park areas. Additional men from the Metropolitan Division plus an extra complement of 45 radio and detective cars were assigned to the manhunt. The search for Guttridge went on all that day, all that night into the following morning. No sign of him. Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. Still no sign of him. The 24-hour watch continued. Five days, ten days, two weeks. 
Tuesday, April 28th. It was the end of the third week. Our relief showed up a few minutes before midnight. Before we went home, Frank and I stopped by the office to check with Captain Lorman. They told us in homicide that he was down the hall in communications. All units. All units. What's doing, Skipper? Just a minute. All units. 2-11 and a shooting. In the bar at 1231 North Fremont. 1231 North Fremont. 1K61, handle a call, code 3. 1K61, Roger. 1K61, that's Ramsey and Crowley, isn't it? All units, 211 suspect has been identified by victim as Wesley Guttridge, murder suspect. The 1200 block of North Fremont's in the stakeout area, isn't it? Right on the edge of it, I think. Yeah, here it is, right here. Guttridge is going to have a rough time. The neighborhood here should be pretty well covered. All units on the 211 and shooting at 1231 North Fremont. Suspect left seen in a light tan 1950 Ford sedan. License 7 Tom 7972. 7 Tom 7972. Suspect headed south on Fremont. Suspect headed south on Fremont. 1K61. 1K61. We have spotted 211 suspect, tan Ford sedan, license 7 Tom 7972. Suspect is traveling at high rate of speed, west on 3rd. Now crossing Lucas. We're in pursuit. 1K61, Roger. All units on all frequencies, stand by. 1K61 is in pursuit of 211 murder suspect. Suspect is heading west on 3rd Street. Now crossing Lucas Avenue. 1K61, pursuing suspect west on 3rd Street. Now crossing Union Avenue. Push it, Jim. Don't lose it. 1K61, Roger. All units. Suspect headed west on 3rd Street, crossing Union Avenue. Units 1R13, 1A17, 1R19. Block the intersection at West Lake and 3rd Street. 1R13, Roger. 1A17, Roger. 1R19, Roger. Units 1R11 and 1A12. Block the intersection at 3rd Street and Alvarado. 1R11, Roger. They're closing in on him. 1K61, 1K61, suspect now headed north on Burlington, crossing Miramar. North on Burlington, crossing Miramar. Watch that truck, Jim. 1K61, Roger. All units. Suspect now headed north on Burlington, crossing Miramar. North on Burlington, crossing Miramar. Maybe they got him blocked. 1K61. 1K61, go ahead. Still pursuing suspect north on Burlington, now crossing 2nd Street. Looks like a dead end. I think we got him blocked. He's turning around. Watch it, Jim. Here he comes. Look out. There goes our windshield. You see all right, Jim? 1K61, 1K61. Maybe you heard it. He got by us. Suspect now headed east on Beverly Boulevard, crossing Belmont. Are you receiving us? 1K61, we are receiving you. All units, suspect now headed east on Beverly Boulevard, now crossing Belmont. 1K61 is in pursuit. 1K61, suspect just turned off Beverly onto Figueroa, heading north on Figueroa, crossing Temple. Just a minute, hold it. Just turned on Alpine. Hold it. Turned again. Suspect now headed north on Alameda, headed for the Southern Pacific train yards. Now crossing North Broadway, going into the yards. 
Total losing, Jim. All units. All units. Converge on Southern Pacific train yards. All units. Converge on Southern Pacific train yards. From North Main to the river. From Alhambra Avenue to Macy Street. Suspect is in the yard. Suspect is in the yard. Not making it easy. She's got nothing to lose. 1K61. 1K61. 1K61, come in. years ago? Why? Good night, Frank. Yeah. What time you got, Lieutenant? August 28th, trial was held in Department 82, Superior Court of the State of California, in and for the County of Los Angeles. In a moment, the results of that trial. The suspect was tried and convicted of murder in the first degree. Welcome back. The weird thing about this is the scene with Frank Spina- K. 
speaking Spanish. If anyone was watching the TV series and paying really close attention to continuity, which people didn't tend to do back in 1954, they'd get a little bit confused because in this episode, Frank Smith speaks and understands Spanish to the witness. In an episode a few weeks later on TV, The Big Boys, Smith has to filter his own questions to a Spanish-speaking young woman through another officer uh, who acts as a translator. Now, of course, this script was originally with Barton Yarborough uh, in mind, uh, but so was the other script. I'll listen to the Big Boys episode and that particular scene, and that one aired in 1950, and it did have... Uh, Barton Yarbrough's character filter his questions in English to the Spanish-speaking officers. So apparently if the radio script for this episode was the same, both Frank Smith and Ben Romero were able to speak Spanish until they weren't. I will say that the conclusion with the police cars tracking the suspect works a whole lot better over uh, audio than on television as the TV version gives us quite a bit of Joe Friday and Frank Smith looking around the room awkwardly. Uh, you know, in terms of a story, it goes to a theme that Dragnet shows its willingness to cut against the typical dramatic narrative of police shows and detective programs because, of course, the heroes are at the center of the action. They're the ones who catch the bad guys and are always there at the big moment. And Dragnet, as a series, is like, no, that's not how things work. Sure, sometimes that happens, but sometimes you spend a lot of time investigating a case, uh, identifying the suspect, but someone else is able to make the caller. And even though the majority of the time they do have them as the ones apprehending the suspect, uh, this is a series that likes to mix things up by putting in that realistic ending where that's not how it works out. I should also note that I did cut a little at the end. There was a visual gag with Frank Smith uh, asking the lieutenant for the time that relied on facial expression and body language but was silent. And I think that that was something that was added in to reflect Ben Alexander's uh, comedic stylings, but didn't transfer well to audio. So that uh, part I trim back. Other than that, though, this works very good in its original medium, the script does, and I'm glad we've got these TV episodes out there so we can enjoy these stories that were originally broadcast over radio, although it'll be nice to get back to actual radio programs next week. Now we turn to listener comments and feedback, and we've got some comments on YouTube regarding the truck hijacking. Uh, listener writes in, Helpful or not, Ed Backstrand is my favorite character. I wish he had made it to the TV version. Well, I think we'll get to hear some more Ed Backstrand. I'll talk a little bit later on as to why that I don't think he ended up making the transition to television. And then a comment from Reinser, a Parley Bear is the coroner at the inquest. He is everywhere. Well, uh, thanks so much. And I've definitely been noticing Parley Bear more. It's funny because I think 
over the years, he's been in hundreds, if not thousands of episodes we played. It just hasn't stood out to me as much as he has to some other listeners. And that's because I'm not as big a fan of the Westerns and haven't listened a whole lot to Gunsmoke, which I think is what a lot of listeners connect to him. But with the Tales of the Texas Rangers, where, you know, he was all over that series, and I think we've heard some others, you know, particularly some of these Johnny Dollar stories recently. And yeah, even even uh, Dragnet, where he's definitely a presence. Uh, There are so many actors, you know, and it's it's hard to track because they play such a significant role in the golden age of radio based on the sheer number of guest appearances they made. You know, you've got Howard McNear, Virginia Gregg, Betty Lou Gerson, Paul Freese, William Conrad, Vic Perrin, Peggy Weber, and, and you you start to list them, and it almost seems like an endless list. And if you try to list them, it seems like you've forgotten one who was really significant. I mean, these performers might have hundreds of episodes in circulation, but they probably made thousands of appearances. And the fact that you had these actors who could be so versatile, who could play all of these different sorts of roles, really is part of what made it economical to be able to have the golden age of radio and have the sheer amount of scripted programs that you had on air during this time. So I go through different phases where I'm like starting to recognize more and more uh, different actors and I am starting to notice a lot of Parley Bear right now. Thanks so much for the comment. Now it's time to thank our Patreon supporter of the day. And I want to go ahead and thank Russell. Russell has been one of our Patreon supporters since October 2016. Currently supporting the podcast at the shameless level of $4 or more per month. Thank you so much for your support, Russell. And that will do it for today. If you are enjoying the podcast, please follow us using your favorite podcast software. And if you're enjoying the podcast on YouTube, be sure to like the video, subscribe to the channel, and mark the notification bell. We will be back next Saturday with actual Dragnet Radio episodes. Public Domain Video Theater returns tomorrow with an episode of Dangerous Assignment. Check that out at videotheater.greatdetectives.net or at our YouTube channel at youtube.greatdetectives.net. And we'll be back on Monday with the Adventures of the Falcon where... Somebody killed him. Oh. Yeah, that's why I'm here. I need a detective. Heard a lot about you. Always figure anybody has a reputation. He must have something on the wall. Well, I'll concede the point. Shall we go inside and talk business? No need. I'll only be a minute. I discovered the body, see? So I'm on the spot. Cops just put me through the ringer. Any reason you should be suspected, other than discovering the body? They suspect everybody. Oh, and you've got nothing to worry about. No more than anybody else. All right. It's like this, see? Who likes his agent? All the time gripes, how come you aren't doing more for me? Rex and me had words often. Loud words. Uh-huh. But he's my meal ticket. I'm going to knock off my own meal ticket? Ah, oh, yes. The golden goose. Get out of it, will you, Waring? Okay, Halloran. Try Rita Vaughn, warbler at the Zigzag Club. You think she did it? She's mixed up in it. How do you know? She's a dame. 
Rex is current. And believe me, in a thing like this, always include the dame in. I'll make a note of it. Dames are trouble. You can count it. Nothing but trouble. Halloran, you're speaking of the women I love. Take it from me, Waring. Nothing but trouble. I hope you'll be with us then. In the meantime, do send your comments to box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives and check us out on Instagram, instagram.com slash greatdetectives from Boise, Idaho. This is your host, Adam Graham, signing off.